There are all kinds of scary things going on in the world. Whether it's a cryptid encounter, a ghost story, or something in between, these viewers sent in their allegedly true scary horror stories that'll freak you out. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to send your story in at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description of this video. You can also submit them on Reddit via r slash thedarkswamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here. Now, without further ado, be sure to elbow that like button in the nose so it really feels it. Subscribe if you're new and turn on notifications so you don't miss a new episode as I upload them multiple times a week and all things natural and supernatural. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into these creepy and allegedly true horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. The Creature I Ran Into by Cowpoke For starters, I was 17 years old when this happened. I'll try to remember what I can. I live on a ranch in West Texas that has belonged to my family for quite some time, many generations. It mainly contains cows and horses. I grew up southern, living outdoors and learning to be a rancher. Our ranch also has a large acre of woods. That's where I spent most of my life. I'm both a cowboy and a country boy. Anyhow, one day in the summertime, my parents were going up to France for a romantic vacation, and they'd be gone for a week, leaving me by my lonesome. So my dad left me in charge of being the man of the ranch. I know it's crazy for them to leave me alone for a week, but I guess I didn't mind since I know how to do the things around the ranch. I forgot to mention that I have two older siblings, my brother and sister, but they're grown and gone and live their own lives. My parents apparently trust me enough to look out for the place, and it made me feel good. On day one, nothing really happened, since I spent most of the day doing chores, milking the cows, grooming the horses, and all the nine. On day two, my girlfriend came in the afternoon, and we did many things together. Later that day, we went horseback riding out in the backwoods. But other than that, nothing really happened. But on day three, that's when the encounters happened. I was sitting on the back porch on guard duty. I remember holding my dad's rifle in hand and listening to country music, but I thought I heard something over the music. I turned the music down and listened closely, but there was nothing there. It was getting late, so I rounded up the cows and horses in the barn, double-locked the doors, etc. I then felt uneasy like something or someone was watching me from the woods. I turned around and saw a dark figure peeking out from one of the trees. I couldn't quite see what it was, since it was from some sort of distance, couldn't tell you exactly how far, but pretty far, and all black blended in with the shadows at that point. But I could make out an arm. It might have been a trespasser. I had the rifle in hand, so I kept my finger on the trigger and said, Hey, this is private property, and you are trespassing. Move along now, and nobody gets hurt. But that figure didn't move, and I'm not even sure it even understood me. I don't know if I blinked or hallucinated because the next thing I remember, the figure was gone. Like it had just vanished into thin air. At that moment, I really didn't care about it, and I just wanted to go inside. So, I went back inside, tried to calm down, played some Red Dead Redemption 2 with the volume down, and that's when the cows began to make a commotion. I ran out to the barn with my rifle, and when I got there, the barn door was smashed open. It looked like somebody had punched through it, and I saw where the cows had been killed and partly eaten. I almost threw up at the sight of it. It seemed that the attacker was gone before I showed up. I walked up to the carcass and muttered, Damn it, what am I going to tell Pa? I cared for the corpse, but uh, I was mad at whatever attacked the cow. I wanted to go after this thing and kill it. So an idea came to my mind. I decided to take the carcass in the woods and use it as bait to draw this thing out. So the next day I got to work, tied the cow to the end of my buddy, and drove it into the woods. I found an excellent spot to lay. I also installed a hunting camera that can connect to my phone, so that if it does show up, I would get it on camera and potentially get a no- As I was installing it, I felt like I was getting paranoid. Like something was about to pounce at me at any second, and every sound made me more and more cautious. The woods, which I thought were my safe place, have turned into a hunting ground. Once I was done, I headed back to the house and waited. 
While waiting, I remembered that dark figure I saw the other day. The two things are connected, I know they are, and we have yet to see a lot of deer or coyotes like we normally do. I then felt my phone vibrate. I took it out and saw the notification. There were pictures. And there it was, some sort of silhouette in the distance. The only way I can describe it is that it wasn't human or animal, but something in between. It looked to have a body like a man, but it looked like it never ate, or something like that. It was super emaciated looking. It had claws for fingers. Its skin looked like it had been burned or singed, and I could see the outline of its bone. Its head looked like some sort of animal skull with antlers sprouting out on top. It had many of them on its back. I know a lot of cryptids in the supernatural. When I saw this thing, I knew it had to be one thing and one thing only. It was a Wendigo. The last picture was more terrifying, as it looked like it was staring right through my soul with dark eyes. I turned off the phone for a second. I had two choices. One, go after this creature and try to make it go away. Or two, let it be and let it destroy my family's ranch. Ultimately, I chose to go after it because there was no way I would let this thing ruin our livelihood. I summed up the courage. With God on my side, I went out there and asked him to protect me. And so I made it into the woods. I was scared, of course, and I must be out of my mind to kill this thing alone. But who was I going to call and who the heck would believe me? It was... If it was as weak as I remember it being to fire, I think I might be able to take this over pretty easily. As I was walking down the trail, every noise made me jump. I had my rifle, but it didn't really make me feel very invincible, if you will. All of a sudden, everything went absolutely quiet. The sounds of the birds, the insects, everything was absolutely gone, and even the wind died down. I then smelled this horrible stench, like rotting meat and death. I knew it was here. I knew this was my time. I then heard something behind me. It was a voice. It sounded like my mom, but but I knew it wasn't her. I gripped my gun and turned around, and there, it stood on its hind legs. We were staring at each other. It said something that I'll never forget. Run, boy. This understandably sent a shiver down my spine. I snapped out of it and opened fire on it. It screeched in pain as every shot hit its torso. I kept shooting until I felt like it had enough, and it did. I saw that it had to be wounded pretty badly, if not mortally. It ended up running away. I was offended, but I was assuming it was going to run away and never come back. So, I didn't chase it, and I never saw whatever this thing was again. Wendigo, Skimwalker, whatever. Whenever I go into the woods, it seems more peaceful now, but I'm always on high alert. The Fog in the Cemetery by Dirk F. I had a friend in high school named Drew whose parents owned a fantastic house. It was huge with several rooms, a giant TV with surround sound, all the video games a kid could want, and a legit pool in the backyard. The kind of lion head fountain, built-in hot tub, and diving board with enough you know, room to actually dive type of pool. I had been friends with Drew since elementary school. He had moved away for a while but moved back during sophomore year and we reconnected instantly. Drew's mom was super cool. She was one of those moms you always felt like you could talk to and there was never any judgment. His sister Chelsea was excellent too. Truthfully, though, I was afraid to say so then. I had a massive crush on Chelsea and loved it whenever she would hang out with our friend group. One night, many boys got together at Drew's place to watch some movies, play video games, swim, and skateboard. We each consumed our weight in pizza that night. Also, we were all planning to stay the night. As it got darker and darker, the conversation went to ghost stories. Drew's mom overheard us, and having grown up in the area, she told us about a crazy night in her teen years when she and her friends visited an old cemetery and got sketched out. Long story short, We asked her if she could drive us to the cemetery. She figured it would be fun to relive that night as a grown-up who knew better, and she wanted to give us a good, fun scare we would never forget. Drew's mom, the boys, and Chelsea loaded into her Suburban, and we headed out there. 
The cemetery was around eight miles northwest of our small western town. It was off in an old dirt county road and had been there for easily 130 years. It was surrounded by farmland and woods with no visible houses. One of the places where you are more likely to run into a coyote than a person. These days, not many people get buried out here, but many of the early settlers of our community are there. The cemetery has always had a creepy vibe, even in the day, but we could never really have anticipated what we would experience that night. It was already nighttime when I finally left the house, and the sky seemed strangely darker as we made our way to the cemetery. I remember having an oddly uneasy feeling. We pulled up to the gate, and it was surprisingly open. We decided to drive in. Drew's mom moved towards the back of the expansive burial ground, and something disturbing began to happen halfway through between the entrance and the back fence. It was a clear night, but suddenly, I swear to you, a thick fog began to form around us. This was followed by each of us getting cold. Remember, it was summertime in the western United States. It was easily 85 degrees or higher and we all got chills simultaneously. We felt cold, and a sense of dread washed over us. One of the guys started to whimper and asked if we could leave. That's when the shadows around whatever gravestone we were sitting in front of began to dance. We thought it was just the shadow of a tree branch blowing in the wind at first, but then we saw the figure of a man move from a crouching position to standing. He was tall, easily 6'5". He was wearing what appeared to be corduroy pants with a striped shirt, suspenders, and what I could only guess was some sort of farmer's hat. The fog and chills had already thoroughly freaked us out. Seeing a guy standing up from behind a headstone in the middle of the old cemetery at night turned the creepiness factor to an 11 out of 10. We began to turn around to head out when Chelsea said, Guys, do you see that dude's face? We all turned to look into our horror. There, there was no face. Where a face should have been was blank. It was like he was a walking mannequin or something, and that was the final straw. Drew's mom put her accelerator to the floor, and we peeled out of there faster than anyone should ever drive through a narrow old cemetery, especially at night. To make the freaky situation a little bit more intense, the faceless man began to chase after us. It wasn't until we were entirely out of the cemetery and down the road that he stopped and stood there as if he was watching us with his eyeless face, ensuring we kept moving away from his hollow domain. The fog lifted when the cemetery and our warmth returned. Our sense of security took much longer to produce, though. Through tears, Drew's mom apologized for taking us out there. To this day, I have never been back to that cemetery, and I don't think I ever will. Something is out there, and it doesn't want people around. On the bright side, I was sitting next to Chelsea in the Suburban on that horrifying night, and though I was scared, I was a stout football player type and happened to become the place where Chelsea turned for security in her fear. In my life, I hope I never again face anything as terrifying as I did that evening, but the long hug from Chelsea was 100% worth it. There's a shadow over my bed. By Dubiously yours. I haven't been sleeping well lately. At first, I thought it was because my toddler's been insisting on sleeping in my bed, relegating her poor father to the living room sofa. She's a fitful sleeper and often I end up with a little foot kicking me in the side or softly snoring face pressed into my neck. I don't mind it though. This is why I'm starting to think my lack of sleep isn't her, but rather this odd thing I see above me in the dark. Now, the room isn't completely void of light at night. My computer has a few small lights that pulse off and on, even when powered down. It, it is very dim. Now, admittedly, these lights are dim, and they only really do cast off a sort of glow. But that's when I see it. Up where the wall meets the ceiling is a shadow that vaguely resembles, well... It's like the shape of a body. As if someone is lying prone at the angle of the ceiling, somehow resting up there despite gravity. Part of the shadow curves out in a way that looks exactly like a person lifting their head while lying flat. I tried to show it to my husband, but he didn't see it. He thinks something in the room must be somehow casting off a shadow. 
but I can't figure out what would even remotely make that shape for the life of me. I get this unsettling feeling in the pit of my stomach the longer I look at it. It's almost like the longer I look at it, the more the figure becomes clear. The more I almost think I see a face. I can't look at it anymore. It's virtually feeding off my attention. Like somehow me acknowledging that it's there is making it more real. This seems even more true because if I force myself to look away for some time, when I look back at it, it's suddenly much more vague. It's back to just being a shadow. It's been a few days now and it's still there. Well, not so much there as it almost seems like it's not on the ceiling anymore. Now it's on the wall and it's closer. I never see it move, but I swear it's more intimate. I'm so scared to go to sleep. I'm laying here, staring up at it with my daughter's sleeping form at my side. And I think I see its face again. It has arms now, I see hands, and if I close my eyes, I'm hoping it will fade away. But I'm also scared if I force myself to open them again and look, that face will be inches away from my own. I can barely sleep, and I think I heard it move. If anybody in the swamp has any idea what this thing is, please, let me know. Almost Eaten Alive by I Can't See 5458. This story takes place when I was around 12 years old or so. I was visiting my cousin Tyler in South Carolina, ready to have the time of my life. He lives in endless woods surrounding his house. Once I arrived, he and I were prepared to explore the woods like we do every time. This time, though, we would explore somewhere that would haunt me for years to come. Now, it started like any other time, running around and pretending we hear monsters to scare each other. Our parents always had one rule about the woods, though, and that was not to cross the creek. We've always listened, but we explored every nook and cranny on our side of the stream. So, we thought it would be okay to cross the creek just this one time. We'll be back before our parents even notice we're gone, I told Tyler. He said whatever, and we began our journey on new turf. After what felt like miles of walking, we came upon a house. It was abandoned because half the roof was caved in. This was like a dream come true to us. We've always dreamed of finding an abandoned house in the woods. So, of course, we explore the place. There wasn't really anything to study because the roof and floor were caved in. After that, we thought we should start heading back before our parents noticed we were gone. We climbed up this hill and could see a road in the distance. If we went to the road, we could follow it home instead of going through all the thorns and bushes in the woods. As we walked towards this road, the road is probably a good half mile away, and we noticed two houses on our left and right. These were not abandoned because we could see cars, and the houses were in good condition. As we start walking past the left house, we hear a dog barking. Not really good with species, but it was some sort of Rottweiler mixed with something. This dog has these big chains around his neck that were used as a leash. This dog is barking very loudly at this point. We keep our distance and walk by the dog. The dog starts running towards us. Now, we were probably a quarter mile away from the dog, so we didn't do anything. We knew he was chained up. As we watch the dog bark and get closer and closer, we actually realize the dog isn't chained to anything. I turned to my cousin and told him we needed to run. We start to run as fast as our legs will carry us toward the road, hoping we can find a house to help us. As we run, we drop our backpacks and everything in our pockets. We began running full speed and can hear the dog barking and getting closer and closer before he is almost on our tail. As we make it to the road, we run to the closest house and start banging on the door until someone quickly opens it and let us in. I have no idea how the dog didn't catch up with us, but we didn't notice he stopped at the grass line before we got onto the road. It's a miracle we didn't get hurt or anything. We never crossed the creek again and always stayed on our part of the creek. The Brown Mountain Lights Are Real by Anonymous The Brown Mountain Lights in North Carolina are real and you can Google it. I found it because I was seeing lights in our woods by my home. We live on 10 acres on the side of a mountain. The house is at the top. Below us are three homes and one lot without a house with 10 to 20 acres each. All wooded and the owners are only there on weekends or very few days a week. 
The only entry to the plots is a private road that cuts through the land by our house. I often sit outside, so I usually see our neighbors coming in and out. It is so frequent that I will maybe see one car or truck come by during the week. I've seen lights in our woods that just don't make sense. This is remote, so I'd hear the motor of an ATV or some sort of truck. Especially, especially if it was coming from somewhere else, because you can't even reach this place from any other neighborhood, you know? There's a river at the bottom, and then there's an old logging road that is entirely blocked by a huge tree in a ditch dugout to prevent anyone from going on that overgrown path. So these lights really shouldn't be existing up here. I have driven the road very close to where these lights usually form, and it doesn't make sense, because where I'm seeing them is in the middle of dense trees and foliage. There is no line of sight to my house from that road, only about a mile straight downhill from the heavy woods. I have determined some of the lights may have been a neighbor or two walking in their driveway to visit other neighbors or taking animals for walks or something like that, but sometimes there really is no explanation. It's so quiet and literally in the fall I hear leaves falling and I can always hear the crunch of a truck or anything with a motor. If it's driving on our road, I'm gonna hear it. So I'll see the lights and there'll never be noise. Again, it's so quiet, I can hear squirrels, turkeys, deer walking through, especially in autumn or winter with the leaves on the ground. Some other details is typically one light, not two headlights, and not a bunch of lights like a group of people. It will move horizontally and not float down like most of the brown mountain, like most of the brown mountain light sightings. It's pretty bright, like a giant flashlight or one headlight, and I don't really know exactly how more to explain it. It's pretty creepy, mainly because it'll float and it'll get pretty close to our home and then just disappear entirely. So if it is somebody walking with a flashlight, I'm almost positive I would hear their footsteps. If anyone has any idea as to what I could potentially be seeing, let me know in the comments. Camping at a park was a bad idea. By Bama Girl. This happened back in 2012, in Florida. I was 22 at the time and my ex was 19. We both had fallen on tough times and ended up becoming homeless. We had no choice but to pitch a tent in the woods and do our best to survive. We lived in that tent for about a year and a half. Unfortunately, during this time we both became addicted to meth. I know, not a great story, right? It's not the best background, but it happened and there's nothing we can do about it, and there is no sugarcoating addiction. We had been living in our tent for about six months at this point, and our little tent had become a pretty impressive home base that we entirely built by tweaking. We ended up with three tents with a screened-in area to keep the mosquitoes out. There was a park about a half a mile away from our camp, and every evening different churches would come to visit this park and feed the homeless. So one evening, my ex and I went to this park to get food. We had been awake for about five days at this point and were coming down, so we needed food and a lot of rest. We ended up meeting a couple at the park, and they were about our age, maybe a few years younger. They joined us at our table and told us their story and how they ended up homeless. They told us they had no tent and nowhere to go, so my ex elbowed me in the ribcage and gave me the eyes. So I asked them if they wanted to stay in our extra storage tent. They took us up on the offer, being incredibly grateful. After all, we were all homeless and we needed to take care of each other. Once we were all done eating, we packed up our leftovers and started to head back to the home base. Our little setup seemed to impress the couple when we reached the tents. I grabbed some dry wood with the boy and set up a small fire in the makeshift fire pit. We sat around the fire talking and laughing for a couple of hours, and we got to know each other better. Soon the fire turned to a smoldering ember and we decided to go to bed. I gave them some extra pillows and blankets and we all said goodnight. I was lying in my tent in and out of sleep. It was an hour after everybody said goodnight, and at this point, I was almost delirious from the amount of time I had been awake. Then I heard a loud smacking sound. It woke me up pretty quickly. I was a bit confused because I didn't hear any voices, so I thought it must have been my imagination at first. So I laid back down. And then I heard it again, but this time much louder, and this time followed by the sound of a zipper. I can hear the girl at the door of my tent pleading to come in, so I opened and invited her in. 
Of course I'm annoyed, but it is what it is. I gave her a pillow, then I hear the zipper in the tent once again. Now the boy is at the front of my tent, screaming at the girl to come out of my tent. She refused. So what does this guy do? He unzips my door, grabs her by the hair, and rips her out of my tent. I'm no saint, and I won't be someone to say that I have never manhandled or put my hands on my exes in any sort of situation, especially in the worst of my addiction. But that night, I didn't have the patience to deal with these two, and I was not about to stand by and watch this girl get beat down by someone three times her size. I jumped to my feet and bum-rushed the guy. I had no advantage over him at all. In all actuality, I was the same size as the girl, but I was no stranger to fights myself. I grew up with five brothers. Being the only girl, they ensured I knew how to defend myself. I made contact with the boy. He didn't see me until it was far too late, luckily. He was instantly on his back, but he got up rather quickly, and I suffered one of the worst beatings of my life. I kept pushing him away, trying not to get hit, and I just kept myself between him and the girl. This kid was throwing haymakers at me over and over. Every time I hit the ground, I would get back up, and he moved from my face to my ribs. But still, I would not let him get to the girls. He struck me. I wouldn't get back up. I was just bloody and battered at this point, knowing I had some broken ribs. If things got any worse, I would probably die. And that's when I heard a, a, a screaming from the girl, who was trying to protect me from the continuous kicks to the ribs. This idiot pulls out brass knuckles that double into a pocket knife. The kid punched my ex in the chest, flipped open the blade, and tried to cut her. I saw the red come through her shirt, and I blacked out. The rest of the story is the recounting through my ex's words. I sprang to my feet and was super quiet. I looked at my ex, saw the wound, thank goodness it wasn't anything more than a surface wound, and I started walking around. I started to the side and found a log big enough to make an impact and small enough to basically be like a softball swing. I ran behind him, looked down, and stomped a stick to get his attention. I made him look at me as I softball swung at his head. He immediately crumpled to the ground. The girls were trying to make me stop at this point, but I jumped on top of him, grabbed the remaining log pieces, and repeatedly struck him in the head. I apologize if that is graphic. Once the log was nothing but splinters, I got off him, he was unconscious, and I grabbed the claw hammer from the front of my tent. I grabbed the hammer and started to scream in a demonic voice. It was almost unintelligible. I made my way to the guy, turned the hammer claw in. I raised the hammer, and as I was mid-swing, only inches from his temple... Both of the girls grabbed my arm and disarmed me. They didn't let me kill him, and uh, I thanked them all the time for that. My rage just took over. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. There was nothing they could do for my ribs. There was nothing they could do for my rib fractures, my skull fracture. Everything was, was only going to be healing in time, essentially. There was nothing the hospital was going to be able to do for it. So, instead of killing this guy, I just called the police. We waited for them to come pick him up. An EMT took me to the hospital, and I got bandaged up. We never saw that couple again, and for days after that I could barely walk as the pain was unbearable. Unfortunately, I can't really say that after this experience I was on my way to recovery. But I, I would get there eventually, of course. But it was the biggest eye-opening thing of my life. The Park That Rained Rocks by Heavy Metal Barbie. This happened a few months ago. My friend, who is 23 years old and a male, and I, who is 22 years old and a female, were hanging out one Sunday afternoon. Since it was a lovely sunny day and it was near the end of fall and the cold winter was fast approaching, we decided to go to a bar or a cafe. We would get some beers and relax at the park to soak up one of the last sunny days that we would get that year. We bought some beer and snacks at the store and decided to sit on a bench at the park nearest to the store because we didn't want to walk too terribly far. The area I live in is known for having many beautiful gardens, almost next to every block of buildings. The park was tiny to give you a general idea of our surroundings. A few benches were next to a child's playground, and a basketball court was a little bit down the road. Buildings surrounded the park for the most part. Most of the area was covered in grass, but the garden was built, so underneath the swings and slides there were tiny white rocks. Little, but they were rocks nonetheless. We were the only people there for easily 10 or 20 minutes. 
None of the other benches were occupied, no other kids were on the playground, it was just peace and quiet. Suddenly, we noticed this man running extremely fast in our direction. At first, we didn't think much of it. Maybe he was just running after his dog or something of the like, so we kept minding our business. Suddenly, he stopped abruptly as soon as he got to the playground. Now, I was a bit confused at this point, but very quickly my confusion turned into fear when I saw this man pick up a handful of rocks and throw them everywhere while making bizarre grunting noises and screaming. I looked over at my friend and told him that I wanted to leave immediately. This guy was twacked out of his mind. He said he wasn't sure if this was a good idea since the man had not noticed us yet, and if we just got up and left, he could see us and decide to attack us. We sat there for a few more minutes watching this man, hoping he would go and not notice us, but to our luck, of course he noticed us. And as soon as he saw us, he ran exceptionally quickly, got very close to our faces, and started flailing his arms at us, still making these weird grunting noises. We just looked at each other, quickly grabbed our stuff and tried to get up. When the man noticed that he stood before me, blocking me from moving, he grunted in my face very loudly. His breath smelled like absolute crap. I was so scared, not knowing what to do. I am not much of a fighter, and neither is my friend. This man was indeed way more potent than us. I seriously considered just putting my cigarette out on his arm to distract him and free myself from the trap he had put me in. My friend got up and took a step toward him in an attempt to scare him off. Luckily, this worked and the man backed off a bit, just enough so I could get up and escape. As soon as I got up, we started running away as fast as we could, hoping we wouldn't be chased after. As we were running, I noticed rocks around us raining down because the man had started throwing them at us in handfuls. Luckily, none of us got hurt and we were able to get out of there unharmed. We had a few scratches and bruises, both of us were pretty shaken up after that, and we never knew exactly what his intentions were. However, we both concluded that it was pretty clear that he had some mental problems and was probably twacked out on some drugs. The Creepy Trail Guy, a Swamp Dweller classic story reread, by Deadly Images. I'm a 20-year-old female, and I live in Michigan. I was 16 years old when these events happened. I am a substantial athletic nerd and go hiking on a daily basis, unless I'm feeling lazy that day. Unfortunately, I picked the wrong day to go hiking, and I met and experienced something I would not want to share or ever experience again. I wouldn't even put this on my worst enemy. I drove to my typical hiking trail. I go there just about every time I go hiking, and this day I saw a creepy guy who looked to be in his early to mid-thirties. Me being stubborn and hard-headed, I just decided to ignore them and continue jogging on the trail anyway. Typically, if you see somebody acting weird in a parking lot, especially to a trail or somewhere outdoorsy, definitely, definitely have a friend with you or at least some sort of protection. You never know what their intentions are. I took a short glance at him and started going on to the path. I got 200 to 300 yards away from the entrance and took a short break until I heard a scream. It sounded like a man was absolutely losing his mind, and then I looked down the path and my heart dropped. I saw the same guy from before in the parking lot running straight towards me, screaming. My adrenaline rushed into me, and I began to run as fast as I possibly could. This guy ran so fast that he caught up with me in no time, and I was a speedy runner. The guy ran like he had taken two shots of steroids and was a straight bat out of hell. I started to cry in panic, freaking the heck out. I quickly turned into the woods and returned to the parking lot area. I kept hearing his footsteps not too far behind me. As I kept running, the footsteps started to get slower, and I eventually was losing him. Once I made it to the parking lot and had any sense of safety again, I jumped into my car, locked all the doors, and immediately called the cops on my cell phone. Not very long after, they arrived and searched the entire area. They did eventually find the man. He was a homeless man, he was 37 years old, and they found a very big, rusted butcher knife in one of his coat pockets. I'm glad I did ROTC throughout high school, or else I would not have had the energy to be able to outrun him. He was faster than me, but my stamina was overall better. This is a short, creepy story, but it forever lives on inside of me. What Park Rangers in the Great Smokies Won't Tell You by Horror Writer 
1717. I was a park ranger in the Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. It wasn't a bad job. The scenery was amazing. I loved to drive up Klingman's Dome Overlook and watch the sunrise. Anytime there was a thunderstorm, I headed for that overlook. One of the best things about the job is the autonomy. Being left alone to do whatever you want is kind of excellent, but it doesn't come without its downside. This park is massive, over a million acres and 11 million people visit annually. I found out the hard way why the park closes at night though. If you've never driven through the Great Smokies on a cloudy moonless night, you've never experienced true soul-crushing darkness. Do you know those extremely bright LED lights that so many trucks have on the front of their grill blind you when they drive towards you? Yeah, our trucks don't have those. We have regular lights, the old, dull, yellow glow. The ones that make you wonder if your battery is going dead or if you'd be better off shining a flashlight ahead of you because you would probably see more that way. The AM radio in the Ranger truck spews out static-filled country garbage. It would be easy just to turn it off, but sometimes I feel like it's my only company. The endless black ribbon of road that runs through this sea of darkness. One thing this job gives you plenty of is time to think, and sometimes that's not always a good thing. I slam on my brakes to avoid hitting a deer. It glances at me, then continues to strut across the road in no hurry. You're welcome! I yell out my window. The deer doesn't even pause. I swear the animals around here think they own the place. <laughs> I think that with a chuckle. Just to make my life more interesting, it starts to snow. In ordinary places, that's not much of a problem. In this pitch black mountain, it could quickly become an issue. It usually doesn't snow here, but there's a call for concern when it does. Most times, it's a freak occurrence and comes fast and heavy. This time is no exception. Within minutes, the road is covered. Already low visibility has been reduced to nearly zero. And of course, it starts when I'm furthest away from the station, right in the middle of nowhere. I slow to a crawl, knowing it will take me forever to get back. But at least I'll get there in one piece instead of sliding off a mountain to my fiery, gory death. I hope. I turn on my windshield wipers in a futile attempt to keep visibility. They work almost as well as the radio, honestly. The defroster and the wipers fight a losing battle against the onslaught of snow. I would just pull over and wait it out, but out here I don't want to end up buried in snow for days waiting for someone to come plow me out. Each station has one snow plow. I don't remember when it was used last. Suddenly I look out the front of the truck and remember that I am actually driving the only truck with the mount for the plow. Translation. I need to get back because there's no one coming to get me. As that positive thought rattles through my head, I come to a turn I see just in the nick of time. I have just enough time to wrench the wheel hard to the right and stay on the road. My tires and the deepening snow disagree on which way the truck is going and I end up sliding toward the edge. I jump on the brakes in a panic, causing them to join the direction argument. In the end, momentum wins. I slide closer to the rail that I know won't keep me from diving hundreds of feet to my death. I'd love to say that my life flashed before me, but all I could do was see that damn snow. I'm going to die surrounded by irritatingly blinding white snow. With nothing else to do, I close my eyes and pray. Time slows as I begin to bargain with my maker. The usual stuff, I'll be better, I'll give my life to the church, I'll become a priest, a missionary, whatever you freaking want as long as you save my life. I felt a heavy thump. This is it, I think. I'm going over the edge. As a desperate last-ditch thought, I opened my door and threw myself out into the road. I land hard, like a belly flopper on asphalt. The wind escapes my chest and refuses to come back. I lay there rocking back and forth in the cold on the white road, hoping that, by some bizarre twist of fate, someone else doesn't come along and run me over. Seconds turn to minutes as I lay there watching the snow in its relentless downpour, waiting for my breath to return. Eventually, I come around and painfully rise to my feet. The truck sits idling as if nothing has happened. I reach in and put it in park, feeling embarrassed and stupid for getting myself in such a panic. I grab my flashlight and go to the front of the truck to see the damage. I'm surprised to find the front bumper sitting four feet from the rail. I know I hit something, I say to myself, examining the fence and finding it undamaged. I turn the light to my bumper and find it's been bent slightly at the end. My light flashes back and forth between the entire guardrail and the damaged bumper. What the hell? As my brain wraps around this puzzle, another piece falls into place. 
I see patches of hair on the bumper and reddened snow. As I pursue the matter, I know the imprint of a large animal lying in the snow in front of my truck is probably not the best idea to investigate. I pull out my phone and take a picture. The impression it made was massive. This thing is at least as tall as the car is vast, even more significant. Great, I hit a bear. I say sarcastically. I sigh as I see the trail of red heading off into the trees beside the road. Guess I should go check on it. I return to my truck, grab my coat and the keys, then head after my quarry. The red is becoming difficult to track through the deepening snow. The tracks themselves seem odd. They're too close together, it's almost like as if this bear is walking on its hind legs. But why would it do that? Did it hurt its paw or something? I approach the edge of the woods, still following the red tracks. I don't want to go too far into the woods. I'm hoping I can catch a quick glimpse of the bear alive and well looking a paw but otherwise okay. Trekking through the dark woods in a snowstorm isn't part of the plan to keep me alive long enough to retire. As I follow the tracks further, I notice something else about them. They don't look like bear's tracks. If I would say they look like anything, I'd say more like large dog tracks. But they're way too big to be any normal dog I've ever seen. Even for a Malamute or a St. Bernard, these are massive. I step into the woods not intending to go much further, and a flash and flash the light around a little bit. I notice the path continues going slightly uphill. <laughs> nope, I say. Not tonight. I turn and head back to the truck when I hear a low, guttural growl. I slowly turn around and see red glowing eyes staring at me from behind a tree. I shine the light in the direction and see that there are tracks that lead right up to a tree that hides all but the eyes of this creature. It's massive. The eyes must be eight feet off the ground. I've never seen anything like this and I still haven't seen it just the eyes at this point. In my terrified stupor, I do the least likely thing possible. I pull out my phone and take a picture. The flash makes it blink, but also appears to make it even more angry. It starts toward me. I would love to say that I was calm, relaxed, and collected as I returned to my vehicle and was on my merry way, but that didn't happen at all. I screamed and turned to run, but my boots were slippery and I fell, nearly hitting my head on a rock. As I gain traction and speed, I hear heavy footsteps behind me. No need to turn and look, I know it's coming after me. Oh dear god, oh dear god, oh dear god, oh dear god. I know I'm not going to make it. I do the one thing I don't want to do. I glance back. A massive mound of fur is galloping toward me, its red eyes glowing with malice. It's coming so fast that it'll overtake me at any second. No matter how fast I try to go, there's no way I'm going to get to my truck. My panicked mind runs through a myriad of options. From just give up to turn and command it to stop to throw the flashlight hoping it will fetch it and give you time to get inside the car. The moment of truth arrives. I'm almost to the truck but I can feel its hot breath going down my neck at this point. I'll never make it around the corner. I'll try to think back to all those dinosaur movies I've seen and how they escaped. My mind reminds me that many of them ended up as a dino snack before the film was done. I sarcastically thank my brain for the happy thought and chose the one tactic that the movies always seemed to show to be successful. I slid under the truck. I'm barely on the ground until I hear a loud bang. The car lurches to the side. A massive snout shoves itself far under the truck as it can, and it sniffs. I try to ease my way out from under the car, but, but the nose disappears and reappears on the other side. This time, there are also claws pawing at me, trying to get a hold of me. I shimmy away from them only to have them show up on the other side. Back and forth we go, like a demented seesaw. Front, back, sides, wherever I go, it's right there trying to grab me. After an eternity of this game, it tries something new. The paws disappear and I feel the truck springs compress. It's climbed on top of the truck. Shoot, now I can see no matter where I go. I test my theory by shining my flashlight toward the back of the truck. It instantly appears and tries to shove its snout under, snapping at me. I push further toward the front. It returns to its vanguard on top of the truck. I lay as still as possible for an eternity, trying not to move, barely breathing, hoping it will lose interest in me and return to the woods. My waiting game ends when I realize the snow is almost up to the level of the truck's frame. I'm going to lose visibility soon. I know I need to do something. I come up with a desperate and stupid plan. I shine my light at the back of the truck, causing the creature to jump down and claw at me. At the same time, I dig some snow away from the front of the car to regain visibility. Then I do the same in reverse. I shine the light at the front and dig at the back. Next, I execute the most desperate and stupid part of my plan. 
I threw the lit flashlight toward the front of the car and it bounces near the guardrail and for a moment it looks like it's going to hit and bounce back. I freeze in fear as it takes one more bounce then disappears over the side. The creature leaps down but doesn't shove its snout under the truck. It jumps the guardrail and disappears. I gasp in astonishment that my plan has worked. I lay there and marveled for a second. Then my mind kicks my ass. What the hell are you still lying here for? Get in the truck! I jump up hitting my head on the car's underside, then roll up on the driver's side yank on the door and of course it's locked. I fumble with my keys just like I've seen in every horror movie ever. I wondered how those people could suddenly forget how to use a key. And now I know. After several failed attempts, I finally opened the door and threw myself inside. I started it up, slammed it into reverse, and hit the gas and nearly did a complete 360 as the tires fight for traction in the snow that has accumulated around. I take a deep breath and compose myself before giving it a little gas, just enough to get moving and get myself back on the road. This leads me to my next problem. The road is gone. All that remains is a blanket of white. Sweat forms on my brows I start down the road, steering by measuring the distance of the trees to the bank spot that used to be a road. I crawl down the mountain this way, slowing to a near stop whenever there is a curve. Unfortunately, it's the Smoky Mountain, so it's all curves. An hour later, I'm no closer to the station. However, a minor miracle happens. The snow stops. I'm so ecstatic I'm nearly jumping in my seat. I might even make it home alive. I glanced in my rearview mirror and those hopes are dashed instantly. In the distance, I see glowing red eyes, and they are getting closer. My veins turn to ice as I press down on the accelerator. After sliding through a turn, barely remaining in control of the vehicle, I realize I can't outrun it. I slow, but only a little bit. On the few straight spots in the road, I speed up but then slow down when I get to a curve. Consecutive stretches are the only time I can afford a glance in the mirror. Each time I do, the eyes are still there and they are a bit closer. I inch closer to the station, clinging to the desperate hope that I can make it there before this thing catches and devours me. I look at my odometer and realize I'm only five miles from the station. It might as well be a million. I sigh. As I look back and see the eyes have become considerably more significant. There's a sharp turn coming up. I know I have to slow down for it. I know that things will catch up when I do. I also know there's a steep drop-off at this turn. I'm stuck. No matter what I do, it's going to end badly. I do what has to be done. I slow down enough to keep from sliding off the edge. When I straighten out, I glance back and the eyes are gone. Could it have slipped off the edge? My hopes rise and then suddenly plummet as I see the red eyes beside me. The monster is running beside the truck. It slams into the door, making a considerable dent. It hits again and shatters the window. Its snout dives in and snaps at me. As the snarling, snapping jaws of a death inch closer, I duck in... As the snarling, snapping jaws of death inch closer, I duck into the passenger seat. I do the only thing I can think of. I slam on the brakes. The unprepared monster goes flying forward as I slide to a stop. It shakes itself and stands, growling at me and baring its teeth. I jump on the gas pedal to get as much speed as possible to run it over. The truck leaps in the air as the tires pass over the massive monster. I don't slow down until I have to. After I make it through the curve, I look back and don't see the glowing eyes. I hazard a glance out the window and see nothing but snow. I can't trust the quiet. I'm so paranoid, I'm shaking, and at this point I think I'd rather see the blasted beast just to know where it was rather than this ungodly suspense. After a few minutes and many more glances back, I finally let myself relax. I'm only a mile away from the station, and I can't believe I made it. The truck explodes from impact. I feel like a bulldozer has rear-ended me. I wrestle with the steering wheel as I'm hit again. The car is moving faster even though I'm standing on the brakes. I look back and see the monster. It's pushing me. I look forward and see the guardrail crumple underneath my front bumper. The truck slides over the edge. It's not the steepest ravine in the park, but it doesn't need to be. The car falls end over end and then starts turning and rolling. It all happened so quickly I never took the time to fasten my seatbelt. I'm thrown around like a rag doll. By some miracle, I stayed inside the truck. I don't know how long I was unconscious, but I woke to heavy footsteps and snarling. I'm lying sideways under what's left of the back seat. The truck is on its roof, and I'm lying in a puddle of glass and blood. The monster sticks its snout through in the shattered window and leers at me with its glowing red eyes. I try to crawl away, but my leg is bent at an unnatural anger, probably broken. Pain shoots through me as I try to use my arm to push out. Ultimately, I realize there's no escape. No fight left in me, I lay there and waited for the inevitable. It sniffs at me and drool drips from its mouth as its putrid breath assaults me. This is it. I close my eyes and wait. Nothing happens. 
I open my eyes and it's gone. I painfully turn to see if it's playing some game, but I can't find it. What the hell happened to you? Says one of my fellow rangers as he sticks his face into the window. How is all I can manage? Looks like you're about to be the luckiest son of a bitch I've ever seen, he says. You must have rolled off the road up there and landed on this road down here. A few more feet and you would have been headed for another tumble. I lay there waiting for something else to happen. This is a dream, I think. I'm dreaming of being rescued while the monster chews me into pieces. Let's get you to a hospital, the ranger says. I wake up in a hospital bed. My right arm and left arm are each in a cast. It hurts to breathe. I'm pretty sure there are some broken ribs. The door opens, and another ranger steps inside. I see they got you all fixed up, he chuckles. What happened to you out there? Did you fall asleep at the wheel? I think about what I should tell him. I wonder how much he would believe, and then I remember. Phone, I rasp. He reaches into the pocket and pulls out his phone. I shake head painfully. No, my phone. He searches through my bag with all my clothes and pulls out my phone with several cracks on the screen. Pictures, I rasp. He opens the screen and navigates to the pictures. He looks at the last one and says, Well, ain't that something, he says. I'm so glad he sees it. I can tell my story and have proof of everything I see. He turns the phone towards me. All I see in the picture is white. The flash was on. The snow wiped out the monster's image. He scrolls back to the other view of the creature's imprint, but the flash in the snow also washes it out. I'm devastated. I know what I saw and I know it's real. Isn't it? I turn away. I'll let you go so you can rest up, he says, then walks out the door. I'm not crazy, I saw it. A month later, I'm feeling a lot better. My arm and leg and ribs are all on the mend. I filled out my accident report. I didn't mention anything about a creature. My slipping caused a crash of the snowy road, and that's how I left it. I wish I could say that I've improved mentally, that I have had less nightmares, but I don't look out the window every night and see glowing red eyes staring back at me from the woods. But I can't say that, because it would be a lie. I know it's going to hunt me down one day. I know it's waiting for me. A Boating Nightmare by Anonymous This particular story is possibly the most traumatic week of my life. Sounds dramatic, I know. I'm already questioning whether or not I even want to put this out there. My name is Kira. I had a lot of issues with my parents growing up but they always seemed to trump my feelings of uncertainty with annual trips to the Caribbean. Being from Canada, I always enjoyed the palm trees and vibrant aquamarine of the sea, but mostly I enjoyed the week-long break from the bullies at my elementary school. I felt lucky. I knew I had an opportunity many kids in my class did not. More than anything, though, I was just happy to have something good in my life. My parents were the type to take me on vacation, give me beers at the age of 10, and tell me about all the crazy stuff they did growing up. However, I was not allowed to have male friends, I was physically abused for the minor mistakes that I made, and my emotional needs were ignored. It's not relevant to the story, so I won't go into much more detail, but I was left with the impression that I constantly needed to impress and suck up to my parents if I wanted their love and attention, especially my dad. I tried so hard for him. I tried to impress him to this day, but I can't help it. My parents took me to the Dominican Republic during March break for this particular vacation. I was seven years old and this was my first trip overseas. We stayed at a resort on the waterfront of a popular tourist spot. We spent most of our days there on the beach. I was a fantastic swimmer and loved the water at the time. You had to drag me out of it practically. Nothing could break my spirit, nothing could scare me, I thought. I always considered my parents to be somewhat responsible. They were so strict I just thought it was because they were trying to protect me and do what was best. Looking back though, I get angry at how wrong I was. On the second day of our trip, my father walked me down to the beach. From what I can remember, we ended up at a boat rental area. They had kayaks and other small boats, what they called kayaks I guess. But these weren't kayaks. They were more like paddle boards. They were primarily flat and you sat on them rather than in them. My dad essentially told me to get the kayak and be safe and don't mess around with the paddle board. 
While dragging me out in one of these kayaks and pushing me into the water, a young girl around my age approached me, asking if she could join. I was practically conditioned into subservience, so I allowed it. We rowed around in the shallow waters until she noticed some big waves out on the horizon. She insisted we go out there. I was scared, and I knew it was dangerous and a bad idea. But I've never had anybody convince me of doing something I didn't want to do, really. So, against my better judgment, we rode out there, and slowly but surely we approached waves taller than the two of us combined. We immediately realized our predicament and attempted to turn around, but it was far too late. A ten-foot wave flipped our tiny boat and flung us into the sea. The waves crashed over me repeatedly. All I could do was see the bottom of the ocean for a while. I remember thinking it was beautiful. I couldn't stay, though. I had to do something. The waves were still coming at me with my head finally above the water. I couldn't see anything over them, and I felt myself dragged beneath. Finally, I saw the girl. I hated her, and I didn't want to help her. Then I saw the boat. Both were maybe 20 feet away in opposite directions. I swam harder than ever towards the ship. Tears were streaming down my face. I eventually got us back onto the kayak, and our oars were nowhere in sight. We used our arms to paddle us forward, and after some time, what felt like an hour, maybe even more, we were back in the calmer waters, where we found one of our missing oars. We used it to get back to shore as quickly as possible. Upon arriving on the beach, we both ran back to our parents. At least I assume that's where she went, as we never saw each other again. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. Even after relaying that and all of what happened to my parents, they didn't seem to even get the hint that I should be supervised. I wasn't a bad kid, but as a seven-year-old in a foreign country, you'd think they'd be more cautious. A couple of days later, I walked down to the beach by myself, where an older gentleman approached me. He had a strange accent and asked me how old I was. I told him, though, I was genuinely creeped out by him. I felt like I had to answer his questions. He was an adult and was therefore in charge. He then asked me if I would hang out with his son, Frederick. I still was nervous, but I reluctantly said yes. I was scared of this man, but at the same time I wanted another kid to play with as I was lonely. He took me to him, who to his credit was real. I hadn't been tricked or lured, and all my worries instantly melted away. Frederick and his father were visiting from Poland, and Frederick and I bonded, talking about our home countries, interests, and absent parents. I then learned that Frederick was 13. This concerned me, though. Not as much as it should have, probably. Being only seven years old, I knew that he was what was considered at my school a big kid. When you're a kid, a six-year difference really is a lot. It feels like they have as much control over you as an adult, but we got along great, so I had no reason to think of him as anything other than a friend. We continued to hang out for several days. We would meet up at a specific spot on the beach, and we would talk and play in the sand. We never really went in the water. We would chat and explore the coast. It was a lot of fun. I liked Frederick. On the third day we met up, we played around in the sand. By this point, I noticed his father was never around. I had only ever seen him the first day when he approached me alone. I didn't think much of it. Frederick suggested we go into the water. As someone who loved the ocean, I was more than happy to oblige. I was honestly waiting for this. I loved the sand, but I wanted to swim. We went in the water talking and laughing, except he kept moving further and further out to sea until I eventually couldn't touch the bottom. He was more than a foot taller than I was, so I assumed he didn't realize I couldn't feel him anymore. But then, his whole demeanor changed. We were facing each other. I was facing the shore, and he was facing the open ocean. He was blocking my path back to the beach, though this wasn't a concern at the time until he started acting weird. Nothing leading up to this point would have led me to believe he was a threat. He asked me about my body and if I had ever seen a guy's private parts. Thinking this was a joke, I said no. He then asked me if my parents knew where I was. I once again stupidly said no. I was getting worried out, and I told him I wanted to go back to the beach. He ignored me, and then he asked, Do you want to see it? Surprisingly, at this point, I actually kind of knew what was going on, and I wasn't being an idiot for once. I tried to swim past him, but he grabbed my arm before I could say anything, 
He put both hands on top of my head and shoved me underwater. I was kicking and screaming, knowing no one could hear me or save me. I felt so helpless. I felt, I felt like I was leaving my body. I could see his legs, I could see the empty blue, I could see my parents lying on lounge chairs half a mile up the beach, sun tanning, drinking cocktails, not a worry in the world. Anger consumed me. I was a good swimmer. I was in martial arts. I knew I could do better. I deserved a chance at life. I wanted my freedom so severely I kicked and kicked and kicked, and I kicked Frederick right in the jewels by pure chance. I somehow made it back to shore by grasping for air and swimming like I was in the Olympics. I ran to my parents, and though they questioned why I was out of breath, all I could say was, I never want to see Frederick again, and I didn't. During the last couple of days of the trip, my parents looked out for me. They never even questioned my decision to stop seeing this kid who they had never even met. I put it out of my mind, too. I'm 24 years old now. I recently brought it up to my mother, telling her the whole story. She cried. I get it. I love my parents. Unfortunately, they didn't start paying attention to me until I no longer needed it. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true disturbing horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. As I've said, viewers from the swamp send in all kinds of stories as you heard tonight. And if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also go to reddit at r slash thedarkswamp and submit your story there. I'd love to see your story and share it with everyone here in the swamp. If you enjoyed this video, please be sure to hit that like button aggressively so it knows that you mean business. Be sure to subscribe if you're new, turn on notifications so you don't miss a new notification as I upload multiple videos every single week on all things natural and supernatural. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else that has podcasts online. I want to thank you guys personally for supporting the Swamp for all these years. It's crazy to think how long we've been doing this and that you guys still send in stories on a daily basis. I really couldn't thank you enough. If you aren't already, be sure to join me over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the good social media stuff or behind the scenes posts. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.